Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. Now, Americans are famously impatient people, young or older. Because achievement is so recognized and rewarded, many of us have become addicted to fast accomplishment and quick wins. We want to gain wealth or lose weight 30 days. We press for change, faster, better, sooner. Especially now, as we yearn to get past COVID and get back to a normal life that feels like it's taken too long. But impatience can often compound emotional stress and anxiety, impeding clear thinking and the resolution of tough problems. In today's episode, psychologist, author, and thought leader, Dr. Andrea Gould-Marx, talks not only about the virtues of patience, but how to cultivate the practical skills of patience building in a time of constant impatience. Andrea is the co-author of a series of short, user-friendly booklets she calls Relieflets, guides designed to provide soothing guidance during these times of turmoil. In her newly published Patience and Possibility, she provides insights into the mindset of patients, the methodology of developing better relationships and listening skills through patients, and what she calls the paradox of patience, slowing down your system, which may seem to take you off track, but actually affords you the time and flexibility to make the choices you need to weather unpredictable circumstances. And in moments of our frustration, Andrea offers some practical ways to manage the experience of time making choices as to how to spend it wisely rather than chafing with impatience. So now let's meet our guest, Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks. Andrea, welcome back to the show. I am. How long has it been, Ron, since maybe at the beginning of your show? It is. So last February. Well, I'll remind the listeners uh, during our first break when our last show was. You had a terrific show last February 3rd about lifelong friendships. So that's, yeah, that was a great show as well. So, yes, as I was saying, we are a famously or notoriously um, uh, known culture for impatience, getting things done, just do it, you know, that famous Nike slogan. Uh, but particularly now coming out of the pandemic, uh, you know, with so much in, in, in that in mind, uh, let's, let's just go right actually to the right to the title of your book. How did you pick this uh, title, you know, Patience and Possibility? And this, explain a little bit about this whole notion of relieflets. Okay the notion of relieflets to address discomfort, right? And as a psychologist, the kinds of discomforts that permeate from the outside in as well as from the inside out. And so with respect to your question about how the idea of patience and possibility itself emerged, it was during the pandemic Mm -hmm. that I was observing that very tendency to begin to even just unconsciously absorb the impatience that seemed to permeate all the discussions in the media. And particularly right at the outset, there was a discussion of the possibility of vaccine. And so, you know, being from the generation that knew about vaccines, I was eager to see what the process would be of creating one. And then the, the conversation in the culture was, where is the vaccine already? 
it was only just mentioned last week, but we don't have the vaccine yet. And there was a, a collective demand for that to be established kind of right away. And it came to me that, boy, this is really a good time to cultivate a little patience because right. there's a process involved in creating a vaccine. Right, right. And so it, it also brought me to the fact, fact, that many people do not appreciate process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that given um, whatever it is, things take time to evolve. And so, yeah, that kind of grabbed me. And I said, you know, this would be a good idea to kind of bring this, um, this concept forward a little bit so that at least it could be in our awareness. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, you know, you and I have talked before about, you know, the, how we experience time and patience is different. People have different senses of experience, you know. And so I remember uh, talking with someone during the pandemic about, you know, hey, let's just, you know, get all together. We're all in the same boat, you know. And as you and I have said before, well, we're actually traveling down the same river, but we aren't. We're on different boats. <laughs> we're not on the same boat down that river. So yes. the experiences are different for people. Um, uh, but there are ways to deal with it. And, and I, I, and, and reading uh, through your relief flip, um, I found a lot of very practical, useful information about patients and and really kind of dissecting what it was, I found it very useful to kind of, let's look at, well, what is it exactly we're talking about? So let's talk a little bit about that, um, uh, you know, about how you look at patients, how do you define it, and how do we break it apart, its, its elements, so that we can, you know, use it in different ways. That was so much fun to do, for me, as an intellectual exercise, because there's the philosophical aspect of it, there's the pragmatic aspect of it, there's the functional aspect that, you know, leads to solutions. But basically, it was Freud, I think, many, many scores of years ago, who talked about delay of gratification. And, and that is really something that we learn in psychology school. It's like the first thing. (laughs) Second thing, maybe, um, we learn is about delay of gratification. Mm -hmm. That is something that Freud noticed that, um, was a problem for people. And even then, in the early 19, in the early 20th century, there was this um, impulse to pleasure. I mean, it, a lot of it was underground, but it was this impulse toward gratifying needs. And we have that. We all have that. It's just right. that the things we need have become different, more urgent, and more compelling. Right. And so our ability to regulate our outflow of energy and focus and emotions is are really the components of patience. Right, right. And I think that, you know, uh, th- there certainly is uh, a, some influence of technology and sort of the technological um, mentality of, you know, sort of instant gratification and, and some of it is certainly gratifying. I mean, when you, you have something that you can't think of the answer, you, you've forgotten an actor's name or you forgot the name of that. What was that movie? You can go to Google and boom, <laughs> you get it. Like, okay, I don't need to you know, suffer for five hours trying to remember what this was or have to go to the library or something you can find out. So, so there certainly is that um, notion, as, as you've mentioned to me before, about if to, to satisfy the curiosity in our intellect, it's a very good aspect to it. However- 
Yes. Yeah. It does create expectations that are sometimes very unrealistic. Well, and expectations always create some kind of stress. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there's eustress, EU stress, Mm -hmm. um, which is good stress. It's motivational stress. Right. More often than not, the impatience of waiting for something. And I was just thinking, as you were giving the example of how wonderful technology can be, I was thinking that back in the day, we would wait for letters from people we loved, and it would be weeks, or it would be in our, right. in our growing up, it could be days. You know, they sent it from California and it arrived in New York, maybe three days, five days, something like that. Right. Love right. letters, right? So now <laughs> you can barely wait for some of the three dots on the texting to, <laughs> to see, and, and, you know, with bated breath, as they say, you know. So right. that's a really good example of how technology and the development of it has really driven right. a very right. pervasive sense of impatience in our culture. Right. That's now the norm. Right, right. You know? and- and it's been progressive too. So we think of it mostly in the last few years, but it really has been, um, you know, going on for quite some time. I remember um, working with a person, uh, a public relations person in the in the, the mid eighties, nineteen eighties, who uh, you know she would submit proposals to cl- potential clients about you know getting this or getting that done or or so forth. And and I remember her telling me. Um, you know, it used to be where you did a proposal and, and then you did it and you sent it off and then you had a little time and then they sent a response back and then maybe I had a phone conversation, maybe this went back and forth. Um, she said, now this damn fax machine <laughs> now makes expectations that, that you know, you got to get back to me today, you know, and <laughs> it's just like, you know, most, I think a lot of younger people today probably don't even know what a fax machine is. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. So, so it has been. There has been an accelerating pace to to impatience, um, and uh, you know there are a couple of, of definitions that you quoted in, in your your book that I, I found very very interesting and useful. So one of them was from a man named David Allen, and he says patience is the calm acceptance of things of things that happen in a different order than you once had in mind. <laughs> was what. Right. Right. Little, yeah, a little wry. Right. Yes. Right. And the, the other one was uh, from a woman named Joyce Meyer as patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting, which yeah. I thought was also a useful way of looking at it. Yes. And then I remember saying that it's about regulating our thoughts and our feelings, our emotions and our impulses. And that's what I was saying before, in terms of um, breaking it up when we were writing it into its component parts, there was the philosophical, the poetic, Mm -hmm. you know, and the functional. And then of course, over the past, I don't know, half a century, I guess, there has really been tremendous research into how the brain works Mm -hmm. in the neuropsychology and brain science. Mm-hmm. And that has been very helpful in creating a more granular understanding of the different parts of the brain involved in processing um, information, processing experience. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's been this development of spiritual 
uh, wisdom which has merged itself into psychology and then merged itself into new age lingo and, and, and that kind of thing. But there are components of spirituality, particularly Eastern spirituality, mm -hmm. that have really added to the robust nature of getting a grip <laughs> right. on patients. Right, right. Yeah, that whole move uh, in meditation and mindfulness, right? Kind of merging with what's happening in, in your brain. Yeah. Even yeah. Zen. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, so uh, some, of the, some of the little uh, exercises that you use are, I think, are interesting too. So you have what you call a patience quotient <laughs> to sort yeah, of test yourself you. on what is your level of patience. Yeah. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of this comes from my own self-observation, mm -hmm. which I couldn't be who I am today unless I had put myself under a microscope. Right. So beginning with observing the times where I feel impatient, I'm a great barometer because I am by nature or my evolution has been into an impatient Mm -hmm. um, I have a large component of impatience. Right. So that was great because I could find it. I could find it when I'm putting on my running shoes. I could find it when I'm making coffee. I could find it with the shortcuts that I think I'm taking by doing multitasking by a couple of things at a time. So I've kind of experienced it phenomenologically just going through my day from the very beginning of why am I feeling like I need to race to put on my running shoes. What is the difference between 6.39 a.m. and maybe 6.42 a.m. Mm -hmm. that or 6.39.3? So it has gotten, like I said, to such a granular level that the breath, our breathing, is our first defense against the stress. We could say that breath, you know, is a friend to reducing stress. Right. And the minute we could really take a, a really deep inhale and a couple of those deep inhales and exhales, we actually slow down everything that needs to be slowed down. Right. Right. But we need to do it consciously and purposefully. Right. So that right. we can begin to pair the little places, the micro places where we feel impatient. Right. And carry that all the way through to the larger places where we feel impatient with ourselves or right. we can't retrieve a document or someone hasn't called us back. Right. So right. there's a spectrum. Right. Yeah. But I think that's a very useful starting point is to just identify what are the moments that, you know, the situational circumstances that make you impatient or whether it makes you impatient, that you, you are impatient. Um, and then, of course, uh, the flip side of that, you know, you've mentioned to me is circumstances when you feel the opposite. You feel like we have endless patience. And these are moments that, you know, of, of just uh, a different experiential sense of time. Well, it's funny that you, that you mentioned that. The thing that I just thought of is I recently got a kitten. Mm -hmm. And half the time I'm asking myself, why did you have to get this kitten? This kitten is a big inconvenience. This is a big... <laughs> take you off task. This is all these things that are the opposite of, you know, cultivating ease, et cetera. But then there's something about holding a kitten, listening to the kitten purr, 
taking the deep breaths. You can't rush an animal. Right. You really can't. You know, it's like, chop, chop. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. You know, they have to do like one of my clients once said to me, they have a life of their own. Right. And they, do, and they live in a different time zone. So that's right. been a very rewarding uh, bypass, if you will, of my own personal impatience. Yeah. But I also think that the value of, of observing impatience is that it gives you many trials to see if you can change the habit. Right. right. And the more trials and the more rewards we have, the more we strengthen the habit. So if we obey our stress and impatience, which is really easy to do, all it does is strengthen the impatience habit. Right, right. And vice versa. Yeah, right. So that's right. So that's the first step is identifying it. And, but then the other thing is to consciously sort of shift at those moments, at the trigger moments and seeing if you can change that habit. It's like, I, I guess, you know, people talk about the powers of habits. That's one of the, the key things. And, and impatience is... is I think we have to think about it really as a habit, not so much as, well, that's, I'm just impatient. Well, that's know. a very important distinction is that people will describe themselves as impatient, which means in the course of their day or their life, there are many circumstances, one after another, that strengthen that habit. When we wrote the first leaflet called Relief from Worrying, I think pretty much the first thing we say at the beginning is that worrying is a habit. Right. right. And all of the recent research supports that it's a habit. Right. And impatience is a habit. And so if a habit can be grown, then a habit can be, you know, can be changed. Right. All we have to do is use a new habit to counteract the old habit. Right. But there's one caveat we must move first <laughs> to intention. We, right. have, we have to agree that it's worthwhile right. to do this. That's great. the intention. Great, great. So we're going to hold on to that. We're gonna, I'm going to curb my impatience to find the answer to that. Um, but we're going to take a quick break, folks. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking much more with psychologist Dr. Andrea Gould-Marx about the practice of patience. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you fully connected? We're all online in more ways than we can imagine. Our business, our family, our health, and our money are all part of the cyber-connected world, and it's getting more frightening every day. On My Connected Life, host Tyler Cohen-Wood takes you into the exciting world of cyber and shows you what you need to know right now to keep your cyber-connected life safe and your data within your control. Get all the information, the news you need to know, and a lot of fun and surprises. Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? 
Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.rowell at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, where we're talking today with Dr. Andrew Gould-Marks about how to practice patience in a society that often supports the opposite in patience. Now, before we continue, I wanted to let you know that we can, you can find out much more information about Andrea and her first two relieflets, uh, Relief from Worrying and Patience and Possibility, by going to her website, boom, boomtalkradio.com. That's B-O-O-M, boomtalkmedia.com. And you can also, if you want to uh, go on the Voice America site or my site, roelresources.com, uh, you can uh, listen to our previous show last February 3rd about um, how to maintain friendship across our lifespans. Very interesting conversation. So you can listen to both this broadcast and previous ones. So before the break, uh, Andrea, we were talking about, um, you know, experiencing patients in different ways. Uh, and I want to talk to you about a notion that you mentioned in your book about um, what you call the patient's paradox. Tell us what that's about. Well, I think that um, we believe that if we hurry up, we're going to get there faster and maybe we'll even be more efficient. But the truth of the matter is that unless we break the cycle of impatience and unless we stop you know, actually say stop and break the cycle and cease some of the frenetic activity that actually interferes with the quality of what we're wanting to do. Um, you know, it's a false illusion to think that that hurrying up is really going to improve life. As a matter of fact, you know, there's that that old joke that as we get closer to the end, it's like a roll of toilet paper the closer to the end we get, the faster it goes. Right. And that's right. another factor that we just need to keep in our awareness. But the, para for the paradox is that how we perceive, I like to say, how we perceive of something is how we proceed. So if we tell ourselves that we have all the time we actually need to create something or to perform a task and we regulate our breathing, we can do this with far more equanimity and far more peace. And the effects of stress are actually compounded. It isn't healthy. It's unhealthy to be as stressed as we do make ourselves because there's a whole cascade of other things that occur to us as we seek to reduce our stress, which takes right. us off task. So there, there's a lot of paradoxical threads that are woven together in that notion. But right. certainly stopping to um, take stock of what's going on, what's necessary, what's the hurry. There's another expression, that, you know, hurrying is because of worrying and worrying is because of fear. And what's the fear underneath all of this? 
So those are questions to ask ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And I think in those moments, you can really stop and just sort of, yeah, as you said, you can take a pause or you take a breath, whatever, you know, metaphorically you want term you want to say, um, to think about, well, let's just, let's take a moment and, and rethink this and take the time to, to process this. That may seem, but yeah, so you're, you're, on the one hand, you've got this other, you know, this other, you know, side of you saying, got to hurry, got to finish, got to finish. But if you take time to really think more about it, um, you know, it, the clarity unfolds. And I think that, you know, it reminds me of uh, years ago, I took a, a course in consensus building and collaboration. And one of the things that the, um, the uh, uh, well, I guess he was really a mentor taught me was about, um, you know, that people often uh, shied away from collaboration and just sort of went right to voting, like, well, let's just vote on this. And what he said was that, well, what happens is when you vote on it, there are winners and losers. And what happens, you know, and, and they're, they don't do it because they fear it's going to take more time, just want to get through this. But the reality is it takes as much time or more time on the back end because the voting creates a process where the losers basically get ticked off <laughs> and proceed on a process of, you know, uh, recidivism, you know, and obstruction yeah. so that the time you take to really, that requires some patient negotiation really makes the overall process, in fact, faster. And, and you know, they, there's that old adage that life is a journey, not a destination. Right. I was in my 20s when I heard that. And I thought, okay, I, saw, I hung a big poster behind my desk. I was a school psychologist at the time. And mm -hmm. I thought, this would be a really good notion to have on hand. Because like, I, like we were talking about at the beginning, things take time. There's a process. And for those who want to skip over the process, there is a negation of intelligent thoughtfulness, reasoning, learning how things actually work. Let's go back to the vaccine. Okay. To hurry up the vaccine would be not to understand um, how a vaccine is made or that it has to be tested or that it has to be tested over time. When a vaccine made yesterday and you put it in your arm today, I don't know. You know, not such a right. good idea. I like to see how a couple of weeks do, a couple of months do, etc. So when you go back over it, you see that a lot of times impatience is an indication that there is a lack of learning, a lack of education about what what um, creates a process, like you were just describing. What creates a successful, let's say, team you know, team right. experience on right. solving a problem. And that is collaboration because it upfront deals with the potential issues. Right. So I think education is a big, is a big part of it. Science education in particular, historical education. Right. As right. Well. Yeah. Yeah. It teaches you about the, the essential aspect of, of sometimes taking your time to really work through things. Um, now, one of the things I like too, Andrea, about um, your relieflet is that you, again, as I said before, you, you break things down. And so one of the things that I found um, interesting was um, talking about relationships. And so relationships take time too. And even some things that, you know, 
I, I can't tell you how many courses I've business courses I've taken in, in listening, active listening, but you break it down in an interesting way in terms of looking at, at the sort of the, the relationship between patience and listening. So, so tell me a little bit more about that, about sort of the steps that you've identified. Yeah. Well, like you're saying, you know, um, going back to what you were saying about voting, um, there's, there's polarization lots of times when we're Mm -hmm. having a conversation with someone I think this, you think that, or you think that, or you think I think this. And so we jump to conclusions and we don't resolve. And not only don't we resolve, we then build discomfort in the presence of the other person. So this isn't a comfortable person because this person is pressing me for an answer, or this isn't a comfortable conversation for me to have. So, you know, I think that um, listening, like I said, is in the book is a um, example of patience tolerance, mm. or tolerance for patience. And I do a lot of listening. It's part of my it's part of my career as a psychologist. Right. Um, and so I, I went through my own process and just the bullet points in each mm-hmm. one of the bullet points has a whole family of little bullet points within it, but the first one, right, is to let the other person talk first to the logical stopping point. So I say, listen first. Right. And how do we do that? We have to still our our body and our mind. Our mind and our body are connected. And so the best way to do that is by breathing. Mm -hmm. Because breathing unites the um the mind and the body which is just a great tool and we can go into further depth about it and then we have to as we're listening and as we still the body and mind we're letting the other person finish very important right you know and i think sometimes i'm accused of being a new yorker because there's something in the culture of new york the epicenter of speed it up because now I live in the Southwest, which is catching up, but still it's not the going thing, whereas New York is definitely the going thing. And so to be able to slow down enough and create the the space to listen for a pause, you know, we use the word pregnant pause, right? to listen for the pause. And then how about this, to check, to understand, right? check that that you've understood, which is not just a straight paraphrase, but to communicate that not only have you heard, but that what the other person was saying makes sense. And sometimes you have to dig deep, but it depends what you want out of the conversation. If you want to have a fight, then there's a whole different route that you take, right? right? You want to win, another whole route to take. But if you care about the person with whom you're having the conversation, And most often in my case, it's usually doing counseling sessions with couples or parents and children that, and and parents and adult children, where we really need to put the magnifying glass on this kind of a conversation. Yeah. And I think a couple steps. Yeah. And I think so that, that last step I think is, is, is a good uh, point in the sense of you're both clarifying for yourself that you in fact understood what the person was saying. And you're also acknowledging to that person that you've really heard them, you know, you may not agree with them, but you've heard them, you know what they're saying. 
Yeah, ultimate respect. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so um, you know, let's get back to a little bit more in, in depth about, you know, changing the habit of impatience. So you mentioned that earlier in our conversation. So the first thing, of course, is that you mentioned is catching, um, catching yourself in the habit um, and then purposely slowing down. What next? What are the steps after that? Well, catching yourself in the habit, first of all, you need to be paying attention to the cues in your body. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, doing something clumsily, for instance, or catching your breathing or catching yourself not even being present to the current task, yes. but rather thinking about whatever the next step is. So right. there's, there's a technology to catching yourself. And pretty soon you get to really recognize that when your heart starts beating fast or you start moving without clarity or you're not catching your, and you're catching yourself not being present, then so it starts there. Yeah. yeah. And then the slowing down part comes with practicing breathing. And I can't recommend highly enough. There are so many. If you Google breathing, <laughs> all you have to do is Google breathing and there will be so many. There are so many apps. There's a, an adorable app that looks like a circle. So when you breathe in, the circle expands mm. and then you breathe out the circle shrinks back. It's a visual cue to really pace you. And then there are countless mindfulness meditation apps or mindful breathing apps. So now we live in a world where we've imported the spiritual technology of meditation and we've broken it into the tiny little habits that a person can just simply do by themselves anywhere, anytime. Anytime, right? So that's the second is, and then it's associating. So let's say you, you rapidly go through making your smoothie in the morning and you do this and you do that and you spill some stuff on the counter and you put it in and you didn't tie it tight. You know, you didn't make the cap tight enough so the whole thing makes a mess on the kitchen counter. Sometimes we can get sloppy when we're racing yeah. or when we're moving too quickly. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, we can bump our car into the car in front of us or, or something yeah. more, yeah. more uh, yeah. Yeah. violent even. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, there is um, a, a social dimension that we, you know, don't acknowledge. And, and maybe it's more so in New York. I don't know about here, but uh, elsewhere. But I think certainly I catch myself in conversations um, not listening because I'm, you know, I'm focusing. Well, what am I going to say next? What, what's my response going to be? And I think, um, you know, there's just a little bit of anxiety um, that comes in about, well, what if I have nothing to say about this, or what if I, you know, don't know how to respond, and and you know, afraid of any uh, talk about pregnant pauses, afraid of any pauses in the conversation, as if that's going to be something terrible, right. and it just gives us, you know, a chance to all kind of like you know, take a breath and kind of, you know, laugh or kind of <laughs> look at each other for a second. Um, and I think, I, I do think that I have been in some circumstances where I'm with, um, you know, two or three other people in collective conversations and people are just, you know, I don't think intention, but sort of jumping on top of each other. You can, you can hardly break into the conversation. I'm like, 
hey guys, you know, relax a little bit, you know, let people finish before getting out your thought. <laughs> It'll right. be there in three seconds. Yes. Okay. Well, two um, things you mentioned were really important. Anxiety being the basis of almost everything is, you know, having that anxious feeling of having to perform, mm-hmm. having to contribute, right. having to be smart, having to be competitive, having to be competitive. Um, so that's one thing. The other is that um, I learned about this a very, very long time ago in um, teaching learning. Mm. And at the bottom of every page, I do believe it was an Israeli psychologist. And on the bottom of every page, he wrote, let me think. Mm. Interesting. You know, and so if somebody is demanding an answer. You can say, let me think. Here's another example. The kid gets into trouble and comes home and knows that there's not going to be good consequence. All right, what are you going to do to me? How are you going to punish me? Right? Right. Am I going to be grounded? Am I going to have my technology removed? What what are you going to do? And the parent says something like, hmm, let me think about this. I'll let you know tomorrow morning. Hmm. Whoa. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff that comes from that within, let's just say the child, himself or herself, but also that, you know, the parent is shown, showing self-respect to themselves. We show respect to ourselves when we say, hmm, need to think about that. Hmm, interesting. I don't have an immediate response. I know you, Ron, to be such a thoughtful person. And I can extrapolate from there. And very often, very thoughtful people don't want to respond right away because they haven't finished thinking it through. You know, yeah. so impatience plays itself out in the social arena, like you're saying. Yeah, I think too that that some of that is uh, is you know, a little fear about judgment, right? If you don't have a response, well, what? Why not? You're not thinking fast enough. You're not a fat, quick thinker, not a person of action. How can we don't answer? Exactly. And, and I think that the response is something takes some thought to think through. I'm not going to give you an answer. I, I think that's one of the things people talk about in, in negotiation theory, right? Don't don't allow yourself to get you know caught in a time trap of you know having to respond with other people's expectations. But it's not just that, it's that they, they things clearly do take some time to think through sometimes. So, um, you know, so we're going to, I'm going to talk, shift a little bit um, to some of the uh, the patients building activities we've talked about before, Uh, but we'll probably have to do it on both sides of the break, but, but let's, where I'm heading is I think you've talked about some things just like you um, mentioned about, uh, you know, one activity is just playing with your kitten, you know, as, as a means of, acknowledging patients of, you know, that, that you're not in, you're not always in control every second, just relax about it. <laughs> um, but uh, what are the, so after the break, what I'd like to come back and talk about some of the other activities that, that uh, you've mentioned in your relieflet, um, you know, like gardening or cooking or thing or doodling or things like that. So, so folks, we're going to come back um, uh, after a quick break again uh, with Dr. Andrea Gould Marks. Uh, so don't go away. We have a packed, last section to to cover a lot of stuff. 
get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks about patients, the practice of it, and the possibilities of doing it more. Um, So before the break, we were talking about some of the activities and practices that can help you, you know, sort of reinforce the idea of patients. And some of the things that you've mentioned to me before are things that sort of break you out, like cooking or gardening or fishing or, or being in nature. So talk about some of these things. I know some of them you do personally. So what are the, what are the things that people can think about to help them break them out of their impatience? Well, the first thing I want to say is that if we adopt a mindset Mm -hmm. of patience, so a mindfulness mindset, just, just to say to ourselves, give us, give ourselves the command. Here's a mindful mindset. That means I'm going to be staying in the present very, very consciously. Like I have to, if I am planting or if I am following a recipe or if I am playing the piano for the first time in 20 years, you know, some of those, if I'm writing something, if I'm writing a thank you note, you know, from composing. Those activities require a mindfulness mindset, mm-hmm. a patience mindset. And then we can decide if we're trying to connect or if we want to inspire 
or if we want to be creative, those are mindsets that, that flow out of a patient's mindset. But I think it's also um, spiritually the willingness to see an unusual time as an opportunity to do something that we're not necessarily um, used to doing. So to go back to the pandemic and what you um, were noticing is that there were so many things that people did who were fortunate enough to be able to take the time to do reconnecting with old friends, picking up a piece of art that they'd started, a piece of writing that they had started years ago, um, spending more time in nature, by the way, which is the most universal because we can't control nature. We can control how fast we walk, but, but that's about it, you know, or run. But we can't control how fast the sun sets or rises or what the trees are going to be doing in their photosynthesis journey of gaining the chlorophyll and losing the chlorine. Right. So right. the powers that we have of being outside, the Japanese have something called... Um, uh, oh, I don't remember the Japanese. Shrinyoku, right? You mentioned okay, thank you. Shri yeah, Shrinyoku, which is forest bathing. Shrinyan being the forest part and right. being the bathing part. And the um, actual chemical um, effect of mm -hmm. what goes on in a forest and how it affects us through our skin, right. through our olfaction, etc. Um, so we have an, in the booklet a whole list of things like chess. <laughs> I mean, you know, it would seem crazy to have that all speeded up or doing things with your left hand or with your non-dominant hand as, you know, seeing how mm -hmm. long it takes to do it with your non-dominant hand or tackling a really thick book and seeing just getting through it by reading two or three pages at a time, even right. though it's a 600 page book. Um, Gardening, cooking, playing a musical instrument, building something, teaching a baby. Right. Toilet yeah. training a kitten. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So being present in the moment, moment after moment after moment. <laughs> and, and the reason that these things, the long list in our relieflet, is that they have their own intrinsic rewards. You know, if patience wasn't ultimately rewarding, it would be even more challenging mm -hmm. to adopt a new habit. But right. because if you allow yourself right. to choose something that is associated with a patient mindset, and then you see the result of it, or you see the result of it in a loved one who finally feel, feels heard, mm -hmm. or there's a shift in the level of respect and therefore compliance in the relationship, then it's a reward. Then we get to do it more easier right. to repeat right. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that um, some of it is, especially with respect to this show, um, 45 forward, uh, you know, there is a relationship to um, developing patients, a certain kind of patients as you get older, you know, through the, through the experience of, of living, I think. Um, that doesn't mean that as a young person, you can't be patient. It's, sometimes a little harder, perhaps, uh, but partly because you don't have experiences, you know, so you don't know what the expectation should be. But, um, you know, so I think that, you know, there, you know, you've talked to me in the past about, uh, you know, not always waiting, but just understanding the difference between, you know, evolutionary sort of, you know, 
voluntary versus involuntary change, you know, and how, you know, you know, the, it, it does require some patience to figure out which one to do. At what point do you take action or, and change things, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, so there's a wide spectrum of things, you know, I mean, um, the patience of understanding that things take time. On the other hand, the um, impulse to help, like in our world situation right now, right. you know, there's things that we cannot do or we can't even fathom doing. And yet there are small things that we can do. So certainly activism has its own spectrum going from impatient activism to more patient activism. Right. Um, and also how, um, for instance, on a very personal level, how our own creativity or productivity has changed over time and how right. we have an increased capacity as we age to, if we have the capacity to reflect and use it, we can see where we were, perhaps like you talk about Louise Erdick, uh, Erdick in her writing um, and her novels that she's able to stand back and assess what she's doing in a right. way that now that she's older, that she didn't have that, you know, how far back can you stand? Right. <laughs> if you're 23 years old, you can only right. go back a little bit, right? Whereas right. if you're 70 years old, you can go back way and get that perspective. Right. And that's something else that we gain as we age is, is the perspective and also the perception of what's important and what's less important. Um, you and I spoke a little bit about baseball, that people think baseball right. is, is too slow. I ask my favorite spectator sport just yeah. because you can see what's going on as opposed to football where there's a pile of people and then like, what yeah. happened? Yeah. Now at least they have instant replay so you can see right. what happened. But, right, yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, yes, I, I've... Um... It's a different experience for me watching baseball and versus other sports. And sometimes, if you're uh, if you're looking for more action, yes, it's like, well, this is slow. But for me, that's the enjoyable part. I can get to relax. I can kind of look and reflect. Uh, there's a yeah, you know, it it is a slower sport. It does require a lot more reflection. There's a lot of other things going on. There's people stepping in out of the batter's box. There are pitchers, you know. So, but it it's uh, and I do think it's sort of telling that that. Um, you know, it, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how much the sport changes because people, you know, the people who oversee the game are now trying to speed up the game. It's like, okay, yeah. you only have a certain number of time to make a pitch. You know, you have a, you, know, you gotta, uh, you can't make that many pitchers change in anything, you know, um, you know, they were, they've, they've stopped now, but then during the pandemic times, right. They, if you had a double header, then you, they were shortened it to seven innings, you know? So there's this concern about the fans being impatient. And I think that, they have to be careful about changing the nature of the sport to so much that it's like, well, then you're just going to make it like other sports that that's not trying to be like, <laughs> this is what you makes it distinctive. Baseball. Yeah. Well, they could change it to a video game and take yeah, it that's right. That way. That's right. That's right. That's right. As many yeah. things are um, changed to right. video games or yeah. physical therapy these days takes place. Right. Um, you know, you used to have to drive to the physical right. therapy place. Right. 
Um, You could tell that we're the older generation where physical therapy becomes a thing that we do along Mm -hmm. with eating, cooking. Right, physical therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Working, physical therapy, you know. But it's that same kind of um, the translation of what used to be life into the new container for life, which is which is now a technological container. Right. So we, do, we definitely have um, challenges uh, in front of us. Right. We definitely do. And I think that I would love people to take a look at the little book because it was written with impatience in mind. Mm-hmm. And as many of my readers have, have mentioned, that you could pick up the book and, and start anywhere and, and put it down in, in 60 seconds or two minutes and feel satisfied that you've read a nugget. It's arranged more right. nugget-wise as opposed right. to reading a whole book. And I right. think that happened unconsciously. Yeah. I yeah. didn't set out to make little nuggets. Right. I right. set out to write about patients and yeah. came out that way yeah. because I've been trained. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Pay attention to attention. Right, right. So just so uh, to go back to what you were mentioning before, Louise Erdrich, uh, this novelist. So just so people would know that. So we were referring to, I, I read an interesting in- interview with her when she was talking about, you know, she said one thing about aging is that you have the greater ability to, synth- to synthesize information. I can finish things now that I started 20, 30 years ago, but didn't have the wherewithal back then to complete so I think that there, you know, you do gain some wisdom with aging. You learn how to make decisions about things. Um, I just wanted to mention, uh, go back to one thing you said earlier about um, you have um, all the time you need. And I, I found that striking because I do remember uh, some time ago uh, having a conversation with my wife about, um, you know, being overwhelmed and stressed out about getting things done and how we're going to do this and that. And, and that was her comment. She said, you have all the time you need, but you need to make choices about how to spend that time. Yeah. And that's sort of an interesting comment about patience, about, you know, so it does require making decisions, but taking some reflection to, to make those decisions and giving yourself that time to do it. So uh, a wise woman, your wife, right? She is. She and is. Um, it, it is true that sometimes we can get caught in thinking that things um, I learned from you when you were a journalist in your other career. Mm-hmm. It's like, how does he write a whole new thing every day? Because he has to. Okay. Right. 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 So, right. You know, yeah. I remember saying, how do you start? How do you do that? So, right. yeah. yeah. So parameters are good. Yes. Talking about parameters, I'm sorry to say that we have flown by this hour. And uh, uh, I, I just wanted to before we end, just to quickly thank you so much for coming on today, Andrea, for a terrific thought-provoking conversation. If, if people have missed it, uh, you can still catch it if you go to voiceamerica.com and searching for my show, 45 Forward. You can also hear it on uh, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, um, and uh, wherever you listen to other, your podcast, probably. Um, so, uh, if you want to send me comments or questions, you can email me at ron.roel at gmail.com. Um, meanwhile, folks, uh, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Linda Fostek, a crisis planner, and Don Patain, a financial advisor. Uh, we will be talking about what we've learned coming out of the pandemic about how to better prepare for future crises, yet unknown. 
so folks, until then, I'll, I'll be looking forward to 45 Forward with all of you. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.